Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I've got uh, Dave Owens with me. So, Coach Owens, thanks for being here. (laughs) It's great to be here, Bailey. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of context behind your background, your upbringing, and, and kind of what that was like for you. When I was younger, I was we moved all over, and so we uh, new new schools every every year. Uh, finally, we settled in Kansas City area, uh, and then uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, to go to junior college, and then from junior college, I went on to play at the University of Tulsa, and then play a couple of seasons afterwards uh, over in Europe, and then. Uh, came back as, as I, when I graduated from, from the University of Tulsa, I, uh, I had a, a sports science degree and uh, I used that to start a, uh, working with the athletes at Hall and Hall and kind of morphed into a coaching and, and strength coach position. Uh, and uh, they would work with me as I went overseas and in, uh, in the off season, uh, it was, it worked out. So it was the, the, the winter time and, uh, so I ended up being at Holland Hall for 19 years, but there was a ton of, of overlap. So I, I got done playing uh, over uh, playing football uh, two years after college. And then uh, because of a neck injury, I, I decided to, to hang him up and uh, came back and was going to be a strength coach and a football coach and a teacher at Holland Hall. And, and things were going great until a, a buddy of mine that I played with at TU, Todd Hayes, came into town. Uh, in the, the summer of 1995, and, and he had stumbled upon uh, on this thing called bobsled. Uh, well, he was down in Del Rio, Texas. Uh, he'd just gotten released from a CFL team, and uh, he, he, uh, he made the team as a push athlete, came home the summer of, of 95 and said, hey, Dave, I want, you, I want to move to the driver's seat, and I want you to come up and, and learn how to, how to, uh, to be a brakeman. And I didn't know anything. The only thing, and this is embarrassing because if you're a bobsledder, you just kind of, well, I know all those guys in the cool runnings movie. It's just, you know, it's just not the same. Yeah. Uh, It's a Disney movie, but uh, so ended up Holland Hall was gracious enough to work with me through that process. And uh, we left in uh, the first part of December of, of 1995, and we spent the the winter in Lake Placid, New York, sliding on the, the old 1932-1980 Olympic track, him learning how to drive and, and me learning how to, how to bobsled. Really? So, uh, yeah. And that morphed into, uh, I remember my first national team in 1996, uh, and then along the way, uh, that bobsled trip is a, in the 96, 97 national team, 97, 98 national team, Olympic trials, uh, in 98 for the Olympics in Nagano, uh, which didn't go in my favor. 
And then I, I decided to come back and make a push for the 2002 Olympics. And then, uh, so we had a, uh, the, the 99 world championships were in Altenburg, Germany. The bobsled season works kind of like NASCAR. You're at different locations in different, uh, in different weeks. Usually the season usually starts uh, mid-November, ends the end of February. And so uh, 1999 world championships were in Cortina, Italy. I'm sliding with USA one. We finished fifth at the world championships. Good. That's a, that's a, we're headed in the right direction. Uh, and then that summer, uh, that summer I found out I had cancer, uh, and that kind of moved in a different direction. And I'll get into that story here in a, in a little bit, but, uh, the, uh, came back 2000 world championships on Altenburg, Germany, and we were fourth at the world championships. And then some things that happened after that, uh, ended up retiring and, uh, uh, before the Olympics, uh, not realizing that that part of my Olympic dream, but actually being hired as a as a uh, part of the, the the sports management for the for the 2002 Olympics, and then getting on a three year project with the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, and then I was a head coach of the U.S. women's team for a year after that, and then. Uh, and then now, so now I'm, I'm part of the uh, international officials team. So we travel, I was at the, the Olympics in 2018, uh, travel into a place where they're having world cup races and world championships. So, yeah. Well, that's a anyway. lot. That's a lot to unpack right there. <laughs> Man, yeah. We'll take it piece by piece. Yeah. Kansas city guy winds up doing bobsled. So but uh, yeah, well, well, real quick, going back to that, talk about, because I know you said you travel around a lot. Did you feel like when you travel around a lot growing up, did it enable you to, uh, you know, make friends and have, have the ability to connect with people from all different places that you were at all the time and, and develop relationships like that? Or It was. I was used to, to, to uh, plugging into situations and, and mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it wasn't easy. I wouldn't sure. say I got, I got really good at it, but I got, I got used to it. Uh, and I think that's... Uh, we can get used to a lot of things, uh, whether we get good at them or not. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's, uh, one's opinion, but, uh, I got comfortable with it being in, in new situations and, and making new friends and, and, uh, and doing that. So that's an excellent, excellent, excellent point, Bailey. Uh, yeah. Well, and also too, just what you talked about having new experiences, you, you get to play college sports, you know, you start off at Juco, then get to university of Tulsa, you know, then you go and play in Europe. Um, so that's a, a, a whole different experience that I'm sure is not comfortable for most people to, to go across the world yeah. and play football somewhere and then having an experience to, you know, to get into coaching and, and strength training. And then all of a sudden now you're going into bobsledding. So there's lots of different variables. And so you can kind of see maybe in some ways that, you know, being able to adapt to a, a different environment, and push yourself outside of your comfort zone was maybe something that uh, was around, you know, from a young age and being able to do that, whether or not you liked it or not, you know, Right. So, well, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, uh -huh. that's, that's obviously one that uh, I used coaching for years, still use it with my own children. So yeah, absolutely. So, you know, growing up, you're playing sports, you're playing football, how did you wind up? What, what Juno, Juco did you go to? And how did you wind up there first and foremost? Well, so I, uh, I had plans of going to the Naval Academy. Uh, and in fact, turned down some, uh, some other opportunities from from 
other academies uh, because I was everything was pointing into the direction that that's where I was headed. And then some things changed uh, with the football staff there. And uh, all of a sudden I find myself uh, looking for, looking for some place to, to go play football. And so uh, we had some connections at, down at, at NEO, Northeastern Oklahoma A&M, and, uh, and that's where I went. And you, know, you talk about, uh, at the time it's different now, but at the time that was kind of a pipeline for the, the uh, SEC school that we're dealing with kids uh, handling the prop, Proposition 48. And so uh, I, I think the, the first day I showed up down there, there was 163 guys uh, out there trying to make that football team. And I tell this story all the time. Uh, and, and the guys that have been to NEO uh, know this to be true, that, that that first day you just start running and, and uh, the, it starts getting dark and the the townspeople pull their cars up and their lights are shining out on the field and you just keep running. And, and <laughs> finally certain en enough guys go to the locker room uh, while you're running to check their stuff in and uh, you stop running. And then that's how they, uh, so you got to be committed for sure. Uncomfortable like, being. Yeah. 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 It, it's like being uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it's like uh it's like football mini buds for, for Navy SEALs, but for football guys. <laughs> yeah. Last That's what standing. it is. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got NEO stories, especially the old stories when they didn't, they didn't, uh, you know, they took whoever was coming uh, yeah. out of staters. I mean, there were guys from all walks of life. I mean, every upbringing that you could imagine uh, were there. Oh yeah. yeah. That's about enough guys to fill the whole, whole uh, conference down there. So, yeah. So uh, actually let's, let's unpack that a little bit, because if there's that many guys going out to try out for the football team, what's your mindset going in there? Or, I mean, are, are you sitting there like, man, these are a lot of guys right here. Or were you pretty confident? Like, no, I put in the work. I'm going to make this and I'm going to outlast all these guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to quit. Uh, that's my mindset. Uh, when you get into that environment, it's, it's, uh, you know, who's going to walk off the field. Well, it's, it's not going to be me. You'll have to drag me off. So, uh, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a battle of will and, uh, and I guess a certain amount of toughness, but, uh, mm -hmm. more mental toughness than anything is, uh, you know, uh, this is what I don't have any place to go. Yeah. Uh, this is it. And so, uh, we're just going to keep moving forward. Yeah. That's awesome. So you had a good experience in EO. How did you wind up at the university of Tulsa after that? So I played tight end uh, my sophomore year at NEO. I played tight end and and uh, was recruited by uh, a number of of schools: uh, Missouri, Wake Forest, Ole Miss, Tulsa, um, and uh, I, I Coach Chris Thurman. They were they were running up back and forth, back up the Will Rogers, uh, back and forth to NEO. Uh, Coach Raider had had just. Uh, he actually hadn't, wasn't the head coach yet. George Henshaw was still the coach when they were uh, doing their recruiting. And uh, TJ Rubley was coming off his freshman year where he'd, he'd set all kinds of records as a freshman. I played tight end, but in a wishbone offense. So I, I caught like five passes the whole year. And I thought, hey, I'd like to get up there with old TJ and catch <laughs> some balls. 
Yeah. And so, uh, uh, so that's what I did and, and transferred that semester. And, uh, over that, over that semester, uh, coach Henshaw took a left, uh, to take a job with the Denver Broncos, I believe. And then, and, and coach Rager, uh, became the youngest, uh, head football coach uh, in division one head football coach in the country. And yeah. uh, what a blessing. I mean, we, uh, we've talked about the where you you can't see it when it's happening, but but looking back on it, what a what a privilege to play for that guy. And and still uh, and, and still he works with with our son on on quarterbacking things has since since uh, since our son was in the fifth grade. Oh, that's uh, awesome. So so every you know, we, we get together all the time and we talk about stuff and uh just a what what a what a blessing to have that guy in my life yeah so at the time you know you were going down to play for another coach and then he comes in what were your initial reactions when you get a, a new coach that, that you didn't necessarily know firsthand but and he's also the youngest coach coming in at the time was right were you guys uh, a little uncertain about it at the start or what did he automatically come in and you're like okay i can respect this guy what uh I had, I had maybe had some, but I transferred at the semester, Bailey. I'm, I, and, and I'm coming out of junior college. Yeah. I'm coming out of NEO. Yeah. Right? <laughs> happy to be there. Yeah. I promise. Okay. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. I'm not, I'm not making any waves. I'm not questioning anybody's decision. I'm here. And, and, uh, uh, I loved NEO and I loved the family that was there and I, the coaches that I got to be and the, and the teammates, but uh, I was, I was happy to be at, at TU. At, at I'm, TU. Not, I'm not second guessing anybody's decisions. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So you, you go on, you have a great experience at TU you get to play um, under coach Raider. Actually real quick, what were some of the things that, that uh, you recognized about him as a leader um, that were qualities that you admired from before? not from afar, but you're really around him every day. Right. Uh, here's the thing about Coach Raider. Uh, he doesn't waver. He is how he is. He's not going to – I've seen him get fired up, but when he, when he gets fired up, he, he keeps it in perspective. Uh, he doesn't lose his mind. And so for me as a uh, – uh, as a – I was I was going to say fairly aggressive, but I don't think that would quite cover it. Uh, a college football player uh, in my in my twenties, early twenties, nineteen twenty. Uh, that was a great example. I may not have recognized it uh, like I should, but if he'd have gone, if he'd have been the other direction, like I see some of these uh, some of these guys out here now, uh, that would that would not have been good for me uh mm -hmm. his perspective on on uh it's relative everybody wants to win but it has no eternal value mm -hmm. uh, so uh yeah he just never wavered he yeah. was who he was and and uh and and, and that's what you were going to get so there was a bit of of uh of peace with that as well Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't have to guess where he was going to be coming from. He was, <clears throat> he loved Jesus and, and, uh, and it reflected in everything that he was doing, uh, whether he was, 
red hot mad or, you know, uh, no matter what situation he was in. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have a great experience at, at TU and you have some success. So you have an opportunity to go and play professionally. How did that come about? And, and why did you go all the way across the world over to Europe to play football? I, hey, let's be honest here, Bailey. I was, I was, uh, I was an average college football player, <laughs> uh, but I, I was looking for, uh, I was looking for some opportunities after, uh, after TU and I got, I got connected to a, an organization called the, the PSFL. So it was kind of one of these, it was one of these spring, supposed to be one of these spring and they've popped up since then. This was 1992, 91, 92. They've popped up. I think they pop up every third spring as somebody comes up with a brand new, <laughs> uh, I think coach Stoops coached one uh, a few years ago. And uh, so this was the professional spring football league. And I went down to a combine down in Casa or uh, down in Phoenix and, uh, and ended up getting drafted by a team out of Portland, Oregon. And we were doing our, uh, our training camp down in Casa Gran, Arizona. Right. And so uh, packed all my stuff. I was playing tight end everything was great and uh made it through five cuts and uh uh our head coach was a guy named craig morton who was who was the quarterback with the broncos back in the day i mean i had his football card right? oh really That's, oh yeah yeah I feel like, uh, uh so uh that was pretty cool uh and and basically it was guys that had been lots of guys that that hadn't been drafted or had been released from uh, from the NFL team, so it was it was a good group, uh, mm -hmm. lots of very talented uh, guys, and so we uh, I made it through the five cuts. The day before the first checks were going to be written, the league folded. Oh man! <laughs> so uh, so off we go. Yeah. Back. Said, said it again, plug back into, uh, into Hall and Hall, back into, back into coaching and, and, and uh, running that strength program. And then uh, we had another friend that I played with at TU that, that uh, had come into a, uh, an opportunity in France, uh, living in Paris. It was American football. It wasn't the, the uh, uh, what do they call that, the USFL or the, uh, uh, that overseas league that they had. It wasn't that. It was an American football league. You were allowed three Americans on this team. It was a French league. And so uh, that's what I decided to do. It wasn't a high, super high level. It was, it was NAIA football, maybe. And uh, so I was, a, I was a player coach. Uh, I think over the course of the season, I started at – I played wide receiver. I played tailback. I played uh, – you know, tight end. I played uh, nose guard. I played, you know, linebacker. It was, it was just, it was just fun. Uh, a lot of yeah. teaching going on, developing relationships with those guys. Uh, ended up winning the, uh, for whatever it's worth, the French national championship. Really? Uh, yeah. What? Uh, that's in no record book right there. I oh, promise yeah. you. But. Uh, we played a team called the Argonauts down in Axon Provence, down in uh, outside of Nice for the for the national championship. Really? Uh, 
yeah it was what, what a cool experience though a very cool experience very so uh, yeah i lived in paris for for eight in eight for eight months uh and got to travel around paris and and a lot of europe uh, on the on the weekends that we weren't having games and and uh great experience met some really really uh really fun people really good people and still have relationships with them today so yeah and then also was- yeah just going into your story like being in france and it was just like a precursor to getting into bobsled and being all over the place, you know, getting to explore all these different, different cities yeah, and countries as well. Who knew? Yeah. It, it's uh, our, our story uh, just keeps getting written. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you have that experience. You said you were coaching at Holland Hall a little bit, you know, that was, how did that even come into, into play as well? Just getting to Holland Hall and wanting to coach and, and be a part of all that. So as we, uh, Brett Adams, who was a star running back at TU, uh, had started what was called the Adams course. And uh, down in Oklahoma City, uh, it was a strength and conditioning course that he had that had developed from a guy that uh, that he trained with a guy named Steve Dunlap. Who's, Steve Dunlap is a, a Hall of Fame uh, wrestling coach out of Broken Arrow, and then he's an associate athletic director at Union now. But uh, Brett saw value in, in trying to get these kids, uh, getting kids and, and taking them through a, a very challenging strength program in summertime and, and finding uh, amazing results uh, due to that program. And so he had started it there in, in, uh, down in Edmond and he wanted to, to bring it up to Tulsa. And, uh, and so we spent the, that spring working around uh, working our way around some of the Tulsa schools and we, we landed on Holland Hall and had an amazing meeting with, with Charlie Brown there, who's the head football coach and athletic director at the time. And, and, uh, and that's how, that's how that started. Uh, yeah. And, and so we ran that strength program for Holland Hall in the, in the summer of 91 and Holland Hall didn't have a weight room. So we had to rent another facility and, uh, and then we ended up building a building their first official weight room uh, the next year. Coach Brown found some funds here and there, and we built a, a temporary building. And I think that building's still standing. I don't. It doesn't hold their weight room now. It's amazing. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I uh, I started I started working with those athletes, and then they had an opening uh, for a coach uh offensive defensive line coach and i just said well hey, hey that's me i can i can do that and so he asked me and i said yes and what a great relationship i, I just have been very blessed to uh to walk into those situations because uh, as a as a i think i was 23 at the time when, when i started coaching there and then getting around helping with middle school football helping uh doing offensive and defensive line, uh, amazing coaches, the Richard Spencer, Fred Utter, uh, Joe Lowry, Brian Begno, Sparky Grober, Coach Brown, uh, Tim O'Halloran. I mean, I could go down the list of these guys that were experienced educators and they were experienced coaches. And, and it wasn't about, it was, it was, it was more about the lessons of the game. Uh, uh, of course, like I said, everybody wants to win, but uh, at what price? And for these guys, 
it was teaching life life lessons through athletics. Uh, and I, I, I think that was the first place where I really uh, kind of framed up uh, what I want to, this is the direction that, uh, because I ended up being pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, 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 it was a comfortable fit. It was, uh, and, and, and so uh, that's obviously where it started. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, know, you talk about being able to be around good people and being blessed in, in that regard. But at the same time, you know, all the places you've been, you've had to, to work hard at whatever you did. And so people notice that, but also at the same time, going back to maybe your early days too, you're always in these environments where you're having to meet new people. And so each environment that you're in, you get to connect with those people and you're doing a good job. And so opportunities present themselves, I'm sure. Um, and being at Hall and Hall, obviously you're saying you're coaching, you're playing a little bit of football, then also opportunity comes up to get into bobsledding. How in the world did that come about? And, uh, you know, how did your buddy even get into bobsledding too, first and foremost? Yeah. So, so Todd, Todd Tate came in town. Uh, I think I said earlier, uh, in the summer of 95 had stumbled into it after being released from a CFL team. Nobody grows up being a bobsledder. Uh, just kind of, they find you or you find them. And, uh, that's how, that's how I got plugged in. Todd found them and, uh, made the team as a push athlete and then wanted to move the driver's seat. So that's how that started. Uh, made my first national team in 96 and, and, uh, just kind of kept working through that. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when he asked you to, to say, Hey, Hey, what do you think about bobsled? What, what in the world are you thinking like in your mind, you know? It was, uh, well, I didn't know much about it for sure. Uh, and, and, uh, I thought, well, uh, I mean, I was at a, I was at a good spot. I wasn't, uh, uh, I know, I knew coach Brown would work with me cause he'd work with me f- with football when I was overseas. And, uh, so, well, let's, let's give it a try. I mean, I can't, I'm not, I'm not, I won't be doing it later on. Like if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. So uh, just open to the opportunity to, to something new. And, and uh, uh, it's kind of a, just a leap of faith. I just, I just, I just went. Yeah. Find out more about it. I mean, it, I'm sure it could have turned out different during that winter uh, in Lake Placid, but it didn't. Uh, and so it kept, there was some, it, it was kind of like coaching. It was, I ended up being pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. And so, so some op- opportunities started opening up. Uh, yeah. So when you moved up to, to Lake Placid to kind of learn how to bobsled, uh, was it uh, difficult to learn or was it something that was kind of natural within like maybe the position that you're at with the bobsled team? And, and, and really, can you describe a little bit about, about bobsled and, and the different roles that you have, like as a you know quarterback or running back or a lineman in football, how does that sure, work so, in bobsled? Right. So, uh, in the in the men's discipline, uh, there's two man and four man, and and uh, I've slid mainly two man when well all two man with Todd whilst he was learning how to drive, and in the four man in my in my bobsled career on the national team I slid mostly four man. So you have in a four man bobsled you've got the pilot, uh, and then not everybody can drive bobsleds. Uh, it's a gift. Uh, it's a talent. It's an a acquired skill. 
they say nowadays that to be competitive on the men's circuit, you've got to have been piling bobsleds for at least uh, from four to six years before you can break into that, the top level uh, of, of, of skill acquisition. So um, followed by the pilot, there's the, the guy that sits right behind him, the guy that, that he's the second one in. The pilot will go in first at the start, then the second guy jumps in. Uh, his job is to stay off the pilot while you're going down. Uh, and then uh, you've got the three guy, uh, and then the four guy comes in from the back. So uh, the four guys responsible for for pulling the brakes at the uh, when you go through the finish line, and everybody else. The, the interesting, and you'll you'll see it in in Beijing here coming up uh, in in 2022 February of next year uh, at the Olympics. You'll see those little sleds and you'll see those giant guys, and uh, even the four man sleds are are. Uh, in comparison, when you when you try to figure out, it's like, uh, like trying to pack a blanket into a little box. You just go, hey, how's this thing fit in here? And then <laughs> somehow you cram it and push it, and, and, and then you put your foot on it while you put the tape over the, and it all fits. Uh -huh. That's kind of like a bobsled. So uh, the when you when you're loading into a bobsled, the last one down is the first one in so well the pilot gets in and then the three guy has to wait for the or the the two guy has to wait for the three guy and the four guy to get in and then it all kind of settles in and uh and now you're off for a ride yeah yeah and that's yeah you're definitely packed in that first guy he's the first one in, and then everyone scrunches in after that right right yeah there's a there's a a specific dance that happens in, okay. and you 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 ran it over and over and over and over just that load part of it as you're getting so, in that sled. Yeah. And so, you know, as you start with having four guys on the bobsled team, is it, uh, what's, what are some of the critical components is like the power at the start, like trying to get as much power as you can and then trying to, I mean, are there certain things you look for within people, um, when you're identifying good bobsled talent? Yeah, so so in a four man bobsled, it it kind of works like the gears of a of a of a car. So the 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 first guy, of course, everybody at the you're starting from a dead stop. Uh, but the first guy, the two man's responsibility really. He's usually one of the bigger guys. Uh -huh. uh, that's the that's the the spot I was sitting in, and and so here's his job is to or primary responsibility is to get that thing out of the hole, get it moving. And then of course, everybody's trying to do the same thing. And then as you, as you move down uh, the start, eventually your two guys not gonna be your fastest guy. He's gonna get in and then your three guy gets in. And then the four guy, the guy running on the brakes is that he's that flyer, he can move. And yeah, uh, so you can move. <laughs> Well, not not me. Like I said, I was the second one. I was after the driver. I was the second one in. Uh -huh. The last guy, the last guy's flying. Uh, yeah, because now you're working. You're running down. You're on a slope. If the sled is moving faster than you are, you're slowing the sled down. So uh, you try to. They try to find that that perfect line between yes, 
these guys are accelerating the sled. And then wherever that line's crossed, now gravity is accelerating that sled. Sure. And you want to be you want to be as close to the line as you can, but you don't want to go over it. Yeah. Hey, no matter what position, you can still fly. So I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're getting this experience, you're up in Lake Placid you know, you get to participate in a lot of these different events, you know, talk about some of those that you went through um, and what those experiences were like as maybe as, as you first started in bobsledding and then as it progressed and you started doing more and more events. Uh, when I, on my first national team uh, event was a, uh, called a Veltons Cup in, in Winterberg, Germany. Uh, we were, uh, that was uh, October of 1996. And so, uh, that was my first, the first time that I'd actually been in that situation on in an international setting. And, uh, it wasn't a world cup race. It was a, it was an invitational race, kind of a preseason event, uh, before the world cup season got started. And, uh, just that the, the getting used to what that schedule would look like eating, you know, you had, in, in that particular, because it was a preseason event, they actually had two a day. So we would, we would, uh, they don't do this anymore, by the way. Okay. Uh, we would get up in the morning. We flew into Frankfurt, took a, uh, took vans up to Winterberg, Germany. And then uh, we would get, unpack all the sleds because obviously the sleds don't go on the, they don't go with you on the airplane. Uh, got all that situated, put them in a garage. And then next morning we were up early uh eating some quick breakfast and then grabbing those sleds taking them to the track taking two or three runs uh putting the sleds up back in the garage having lunch uh maybe get some rest and then late afternoon you're back picking those sleds up heading back to the track uh and then so it was it was kind of that environment. Now, the, the, the fortunate part that I didn't touch on when we talked about NEO was that back in those days, we had three days. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I was kind of used to, to, uh, to, to, that didn't really bother me too much. There were some of the guys that were kind of, hey, uh, not nearly as many probably that, that would be doing it now, nowadays, but uh, uh, it was fun. It was a blast. The guys were, uh, you know, they're from all over the country and they had different sports experiences. A lot of track and field guys, a lot of football guys. Uh, I had, my roommate uh, was a guy named Chip Minton. He was a, a professional wrestler at the time, uh, Mr. World Class. And so uh, it was a great experience, great experience moving through that. And then we moved into the World Cup season and, and uh, the that so that first that first part of this so it has a christmas break so you, you start into the world cup season you, every week is a different location and then uh towards the end of of december you break you have a two or three week break for christmas and then you then it starts back over uh so the last race of of that first half was in a place called cortina italy uh which is northeastern italy up in the up in the Dolomite Mountains, and uh, it's actually where the uh, 2020, let's say 2026 Olympics, they got the Olympic bid. Uh, oh, really? They're rebuilding, they're rebuilding this track. Uh, the track, 
it was unbelievable. It had a lot of history, had changed a lot. It was, it was, uh, it was kind of notorious for being uh, rather violent on athletes and equipment. Uh, but the people were amazing, uh, um, amazing part of, of Italy. It was a really cool place. Well, it ends up that in, as we're going through our training runs during the week. So you do your training runs during the week and then you have the races, the World Cup races at the end of the week on, on Saturday and Sunday. So as we're going through that, that week of training, uh, the four-man run, we've, we rolled into the finish curve. Uh, and so, uh, as I told you earlier, uh, on the four-man bobsled, the, the, the two guys, the last one down, so you can imagine if he's the last one down, he's the first one out. So we rolled into, which is, is not common. We rolled into the finish curve. I got pinned between the sled and the ice and, and had a uh, fairly significant ice burn uh, on my shoulder. So we were, uh, uh, so there was a little bit of anxiety uh, going into race day uh but we we pushed that off and our driver at the time his name was Tuffy Latour he had an amazing uh run going and uh he caught that same spot that had had flipped us in uh during the training runs and he flipped us into that uh, it wouldn't let the sled climb with the, with the G forces and it flipped into the finish curve. And we were, we were doing about 88 miles an hour and we we're pulling five G's. And so, uh, it burned, it, it, it burned part of my left arm, uh, off. Uh, and so that was an interesting deal, uh, going oh, to yeah. the room there in, in, uh, in Cortina and then, uh, we we drove that night back to Frankfurt for the ride home. Uh, I had called ahead and and they set up a uh, an appointment at the burn center here at, here at Hillcrest in town. And uh, the doctor looked at it and he that was believe it or not Bailey that was the first ice burn he'd ever looked at. <laughs> uh, and so uh, he said, "Well, you can you can let it heal." or you can get it fixed. Well, I had to leave for Europe on January 4th to get back, to go back. Cause I mean, the, the objective here, keep in mind the objective. And I think that's a pretty, that's pretty significant in what we're talking about this morning. Keep in, keep in mind the objectives. I'm trying to make that 98 Olympic team. Right. And there was a coach, I can't remember who it was in college or, or high school that, that told me you, you can't make the club in the tub. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, out of sight, out of mind, uh, you, you got to be there. And so, uh, the doctor said, you have two options. You can let this heal and it's going to take months for it to heal or, or kind of try to heal on its own, or you can get the skin graft. And so, uh, so that's what I did. I spent the, uh, Christmas of that, uh, of 96 and at, at the burn center in, uh, uh, here in Hillcrest and, uh, super talented people. They, uh, they pulled leg off or skin off my leg, stapled it to my arm. And then, uh, and fortunately it was a hundred percent take. And I've, I've got tremendous respect for the people that, that 
deal with those uh, uh, with that kind of injury and and the, especially the the people that are dealing because they're they're very that burn center at Hillcrest is is known throughout the region uh, and it's it's just uh, man there were some some days when they were some nights when they were bringing people in that had been in in instances that were it was it was heartbreaking um but so so my my skin graft uh took i had i think i had 370 staples holding all those pieces of skin on there and wow. uh uh went back i, I made the plane uh how, how long uh, did it take to heal up like officially heal up because i'm I probably wasn't to still, totally done when you went out there no, right? we still, well, we went off the f funny story this funny story was we, so we we went to st Moritz. we flew into uh switzerland and and we went to a place called st Moritz, switzerland top of the world uh and which they have an old the, the only bobsled track in the world that's naturally made a team of British engineers come in every December and build this track. And uh, at the time it was the fastest track in the world as well. And so uh, that was where the world championships were going to be in, 90, in, in that February. And so we went there for a few days to get some training runs. Uh, so I was sliding with USA three at the time, uh, USA one went off, USA two goes off and, and they have a famous, uh, a famous curve called horseshoe curve. And uh, it, 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 it claims a lot of sleds. Uh, and if you go over in Horseshoe, you've got a long ride on your head as that bobsled tries to make it down to, to, uh, uh, to the finish. When we went off, uh, or when the, the USA 2 went off, they crashed coming out of the Horseshoe. And so when a bobsled crash happens, the next sled that's up, they put their sled on the side and you have to wait for them to to get all the athletes and sled and whatever else body parts, not kidding on the body parts, <laughs> debris and all the other stuff off the track. And then the, the track is clear. Well, <clears throat> there was a, uh, so sure enough that I'm, I've still got scabs on my, on my, my burn on my arm. And, uh, so are, are, I mean, you still got scabs. You just got that fixed. Are you sitting there? I mean, what, you have like a high anxiety level sitting there as you're as you're hopping back into the the deal because yeah, that's it with with the way that that thing was uh if if we go over then it's coming off i mean it's it, all that stuff is uh but <clears throat> i uh the the guy i'm not going to say his name but the, the so the three i was riding to and the three guy uh over on the other side, we put that sled up on his, on his, uh, on the side and, and the three guy, he starts heading towards the locker room. And I said, I said, where are you going? He said, uh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do this. Uh, and I, and, and it just so happened that, uh, the guy from running the brakes got him Dwayne mock. He's a football coach down in Ufall, Alabama. Now, uh, uh, he he said oh yeah oh yeah you're going and i said yeah yeah you're going so we we kind of forced and we said hey no we're we're doing this uh so yeah my level of anxiety was it was high but but another i mean where's the, what's the goal what's the 
where are you trying to get? Uh, you just keep your feet moving. So yeah. luckily he made it down. I can't. And, and when we went to the finish line and I knew where we were on that sled, I popped my head up and, and I, he probably had a concussion. I was beating on his helmet. So <laughs> I was so happy. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's, that's a whole different level of adversity having to deal with that. But at the same time, you kept, kept your mind on where you wanted to go and the goal at the end of the day. And that kept pushing you. And I think that's a common pattern you see in not just uh, high level athletes, but people that they're on a mission for something. They, if you want something bad enough, you're going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And so you can obviously uh, a testament to that. So you have these experiences. I mean, you were working uh, to get on the Olympic team and, and talk about, uh, as you went through horseshoe bin and got back on the sled and you're working your way towards that, what were some things that happened along the way? Uh, well, all kinds of, of exciting, uh, you know, I've got a million stories about traveling through Europe and in, in minivans with a, a bunch of guys that, uh, you know, from, from all walks of, of life, uh, from all, all different types of experiences. Uh, uh, and it was all, well, we're all trying to make that, we're all trying to make that Olympic team. It's all, uh, just the bonds that I have, the, the, the relationships that, that I have now with those, we have our, our friend, the Dwayne mock that I mentioned earlier, he's, we found out last week that he's, uh, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so mm-hmm. just over the last few days, uh, just the, so you, you're making relationships with these guys and, and bobsled tracks. I mean, they're all, every bobsled tracks different. They have different lengths. They have different pressure points. They have different, all kinds of stuff, but it's about the relationships of the journey and, uh, and, and, uh, and having, having those life experiences with these guys, uh, there was where I was going with, with, with Dwayne mock. I mean, he's, just the outpouring of the guys, the concern for the guys. Now he's a he's a phenomenal person, uh, and father, and husband, and football coach. Uh, but he was also he also meant he, he means a lot to us. And so we're we're uh, the way that you rally around uh, guys that that you get to spend that much time with is is really cool. Those relationships. Absolutely, and you talk about. Uh, kind of him and, and, you know, having those people around you to rally around you guys rally, rally around him, but also you had an experience like you touched on before you're working towards a goal and then something kind of um, happens to where uh, people probably rallied around you throughout that experience with, with cancer. Talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, so the 98 Olympic trials, uh, they did, they, they, uh, they didn't go as well as they didn't go the direction that I wanted them to go. Uh, I didn't make the Olympic team. Um, and so, uh, and there's lots of things that you can blame or, or, or whatever. Uh, but, uh, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And, uh, you, you keep moving forward. So I made the decision to come back and, uh, <clears throat> and, and try to make that Olympic team for 2002 when the games were in Salt Lake city, 99, uh, the 99 world championships, February of 99, as I mentioned earlier, fifth at the world championships, uh, came home, uh, placing in the top five at the world championships, put you at a, at a level where the USOC helps you with some funding and things, uh, health insurance, monthly stipend. 
great position to be in. I was still coaching the home hall. I, I had some, uh, I was starting beginning a property business that had grown a little bit kind of on the side and, and, uh, uh, I'd made my next national team, the, the 97, 98 national team. And, uh, I'm sorry, 97, 98, uh, the, the 98, 99, no, 99, national team. Anyway, I'd made another national team mm-hmm. and, uh, I was getting ready to head off to, to, uh, Lake Placid, uh, to join the rest of the team for the preseason training. Uh, and, I just happened to run into our, our uh, athletic trainer at Holland Hall uh, just in passing. I said, hey, I noticed something a little bit different. I said, uh, I'd really like to get, kind of get this checked out just so I get some peace of mind while I'm, when I, before I leave for Europe so I don't have to worry about it. And he said, okay, let me see what I can do. And so uh, calls me back, hey, I got you scheduled. Uh, just go in there and get it checked out. Okay, great. I go in and, and, uh, doctor takes a look. He says, Hey, uh, yeah, you need to go over here and, and, uh, get an ultrasound. So I go over and get an ultrasound and I come back or, uh, ultrasound doctor comes in, does the ultrasound. He said, I said, are you done? He said, no, just hold on. And he goes out and, and another doctor comes in with him. And, and so they do an ultra, another ultrasound. I said, okay, am I done? And he said, no, hold on. And he goes back and he brings in two more doctors. And, and so, uh now i'm wondering okay what you know what's going on they get finished i said okay am i done now yeah I'm, you're done i said well what are you guys what are you guys doing what what what's going on and they said well you'll have to go talk to the doctor i said great appreciate that <laughs> i jump back by this time it's after hours uh the only people there are the receptionist and the doctor the receptionist walks me back to the to the uh to the room i'm looking out a big window i hear the door open i hear the door shut and before i can turn around the doctor says uh, mr owens you have cancer and it has to come out immediately and and i wheeled around and i said doc uh i'm leaving for a, on an airplane tomorrow morning at 6 a.m and uh this doesn't fit into my schedule uh i'm not doing that and I, and I walked out. Uh, yeah, I, I said, no, that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't fit into what, what my plans are. You're on so, a mission. <laughs> I'm on a mission. I got, I got to do this thing. And, and, and so, uh, so it turns out that, that I have, was, I was headed over. I don't know how he knew, but he knew. Uh, I was headed back over to Holland Hall. He had a relationship with Coach Brown. He called Coach Brown before I got there. Coach Brown, who I uh, just uh, you know, a father figure for me, uh, uh, tons of respect for, pulled me aside, and we we, we had a walk, and uh, and so so rather than getting on an on an airplane headed to the Olympic Training Center, uh, it was August nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. I was uh, five a.m. I was uh, in the pre-op room, getting ready to have have surgery now here here's the thing about that my whole life up to that point uh was defined by athletics that's that's who i was that, that's what i did uh, i grew up in the church my mom prayed me through my 20s um but 
but I didn't have a personal relationship. Uh, now, a year before that, I'd met this amazing woman uh, and her family, and uh, and we were going through the things, and I could feel my heart kind of softening. But being, uh, but really, at that point, I had no my whole my whole existence was based off of this 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 athletic profile. Uh, so on the outside, when I met, so the two hard, hardest calls, I called my coach. I let him know what was going on and said, hey, I won't be there tomorrow. Uh, he said, Dave, you take as much time as you need. We'll be here. Uh, you're, when you can get back, get back. And then I called my parents. And, and that was a hard conversation, uh, letting your parents know that you have cancer. And, and I, didn't, I didn't talk to too many more people about that. Uh, uh, Kim who was the girl that I was dating. She had, she was out of town, uh, on some work things. I, I let her know. And so, uh, I was pretty stoic on the outside, like a, like a brick, right? There was nothing. I got this as, you know, they just said, Hey, yeah, this is nothing. But on the inside, I am shaking like a leaf because my whole existence is based off of, of, of athletics and, and being this, this, uh, that kind of recognition and uh hey i don't know when when this surgery is over what's what's that going to look like it's over i don't have I'm, i i have no identity so uh i'm sitting back in the i'm sitting back in in the pre-op room and it's for whatever reason it was super early in the morning but there's hardly anybody back there right and, and all of a sudden this ginormous hand comes through the curtain and he said, and he said, Dave, are you back here? And his hand is about the size of a dinner plate. And it was, it was, uh, it was Kim's dad. So the girl I'd been dating, I've been seeing her for about a year. And, uh, she, uh, she had called him and, uh, let him know what was going on and what time all that stuff was happening. He didn't have to get up at, at whatever time he had to get up at to, to be there, but he was. And he didn't, he walked back through a restricted access area and he's a giant man, six full blood German, six, eight okay. fingers, the size of, I mean, you know, a bratwurst, I mean, he's a giant man. Uh -huh. And, uh, uh, he walks back there and, and, uh, a lot of people, especially in the Tulsa area will recognize Harold Phillips, uh, which was a pastor at his local church, uh, and uh, he said, Harold's here. Can we pray with you? And, uh, you know, I wouldn't, he didn't really give me an opportunity to say no. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't have, and I respected him too much to say no. Uh, and so he put that, that giant hand on my arm and, and Harold went to pray and he grabbed, he grabbed my arm and he grabbed Harold and, and he went to, and Harold went to praying. And I can't tell you what Harold said. But I know that when he said amen, and I, and I opened up my eyes, all of that anxiety, all that fear, all of that was gone. Uh, and, and it was, I, I think that is, uh, and for me, my life, my life changed 
uh, it, it went, it started in a different direction. And, and, uh, and that's one of the things that, that, that we're talking about today is, is the, the, the part that influences me now is, is being a part of, of someone else's story because, and, and making, being intentional about being part of someone else's story, Don. Uh, so I ended up marrying Kim and, and we had a, uh, uh, we have triplets that are 16 now, and that's a whole nother story, we probably yeah. don't have before, but, uh, but it's amazing, amazing journey, journey. And, uh, but, uh, the idea, I think it's easy for coaches, you know, coaches that, that are part of your story, uh, because it's it's really easy for coaches to be part of somebody's story. Now there's two sides of that. You can be a, a good part of the story or a bad part of the story. But the ones that you really remember are the ones that are, are a good part of your story. And I know you have them. I have them. We all have them. But it's not exclusive to coaches. Coaches have a, an extra platform right there. But we can all, no matter where you are, what you do, we can all be part of someone's story. And I think that's, for me, as far as, uh, excellence, building excellence goes, is is being part of someone's story, making a conscious effort to be part of someone's story, just like Kim's dad Don was. He's a part of changing my life. We never know what part of someone's story we're going to be in, um, and so. Excellence uh, that that we're building excellence uh, for me. That's what it's about. That's what the focus is now. Uh, it's that's a that's a huge a huge part of it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many people, not just coaches, like you said, that have a tremendous influence on your life, and it could be within a small moment, or it could be over time for a period of time. Uh, but there's all these opportunities that we can make a difference in other people's life and. And there's also these, we have our own stories that uniquely can affect um, other people in different ways where they can learn from us or we can help them in, in their own journey. So it, it is really important that, you know, we're all conscious of that in our own ways, right? Because everyone that we're around every day, uh, we're influencing them in some way, whether we know it or not, whether it's good or bad, like you talked about. And it's so important to to be that positive influence on the people that you're around, no matter what position, no matter what you're doing, there's always opportunity to do that. And so you talked about, uh, you know, in that moment, uh, those guys were there and you just remember feeling changed. Um, you know, after that was, was faith something that really became your own and was really important to you on a, on a different level. Yes. I, I, I thought, uh, you know, growing up in the church, I, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't really, conscious of, of having my own relationship with Jesus, uh, the, the, uh, the, the idea that, that <clears throat> there was a, a, a bunch of rules that I, I had a, you know, I had a hard time, I had a hard time following, uh, uh, but through that part, I, when, when you, when you recognize that, that, uh, that having a personal relationship the 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 freedom see I, I was looking at it from the other the other side of it i was looking at it as restrictive rather than rather than, look how big this look how how many opportunities are here uh the freedom 
of, of a personal relationship with Christ. Uh, that's the part that, that when my eyes opened that morning, my eyes opened. Uh, and, and I think that because, and this is what I, I talk about this. I talked at a, about a Bible study uh, a couple of weeks ago in Colorado Springs. We all have that God is real moment. Uh, and, and when you, when you recognize that uh, this is not, this is not of my, I mean, I can't explain this. Mm-hmm. We don't, the, the, and, and a lot of times you're looking back on those, those times to recognize them from the, from the, uh, that back when that happened, that there's a reason why all this is, is put into place. And so for me, that's, that's it. And, and since then, that's the first time I recognize that since then I've, uh, I keep track of them now. I mean, I, I can recognize them. Hey, yeah, I, I, I see that that, I didn't have a dang thing to do with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And being that guy. So. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome to hear, especially those stories. Um, you know, going back in your story, you get back out, uh, you know, you went through the surgery and, and were you cancer free after that or. Yeah. So, so the surgery, it ended up being, there's four types of the cancer that I had and uh, I had the least aggressive kind. So I, I talked the doctor into uh, a, a radiation was required. So I talked to the doctor into letting me uh, forego the radiation at that time. If I promised to have it when the season was over. And so I, I stayed 10 days in, in uh, Tulsa and then I flew to Lake Flaccid and did the rest of my rehab there and then, then joined the team. And, and so uh, it ends up being uh, the world championships, the 2000 world championships are in Altenburg, Germany. And uh, I'm sliding with USA one again uh, and at the world championships are, are like the Olympics. There's four, uh, four heats to one day to the second day. Well, after three heats, we're in the bronze medal position. Um, and uh, we're, we're four hundredths of a second in the bronze medal position. Uh, and so, uh, and I'm sitting there, I'm talking to our team captain, uh, a guy named Dave Juring, uh, a doctor out of, out of, uh, uh, from, from Iowa, I believe. And, and we're just sitting there. And, and I just, I just go, oh, can you, can you believe this? Can you believe that here I am in, in August, I was, I had cancer and I had this surgery and, uh, and that it's February and I'm sitting in Altenburg, Germany, and I'm getting ready to be, you know, uh, I said, it, it, isn't it, it's unbelievable. Uh, and that's a specific memory that I, I just I, I cherish. Uh, so ends all ends up that we 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 go off and, and we get beat by by three hundredths of a second. To the oh, so we finished fourth, right? Right. Oh man, man, that story would have been so much cooler if we'd have won that <laughs> or maybe moved up to silver. So much cooler, but but that's not how it happened. Sure. Uh, but uh, just the. Uh, it's the amazing uh, one, one foot in front of the other and uh, the amazing opportunities. When the season was over, 
again, that was a great finish. So I got home about three weeks after I got home, I, I did the five weeks of radiation that I was required to do. And what, what I wasn't aware of was the, the radiation field for the type of, I had testicular cancer. Uh, that that radiation field is, and I've got some really funny stories about that doing that. But uh, <laughs> no, no, you can't be shy when you're in that uh, when you're rolling through that type of deal. But <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, the radiation field at that time, I don't know if it's changed or not, but uh, it's not conducive to high speed uh, sports, and so. Uh, after radiation, I struggled to get my speed back and, uh, ended up, uh, retiring, uh, in October of 2001, mm -hmm. uh, had, had, uh, had petitioned with the USOC to the international community, uh, Olympic community or in international Olympic committee on some testosterone replacement things. It just wasn't, it just wasn't going to. It wasn't going to be, and so I retired in two thousand uh, October of two thousand one, and and five days after I retired, I got hired as as part of the uh, the race leadership for the for the two thousand two Olympics, which was a fantastic fit for me. I would I would have really struggled being at home watching the Olympics, um, and and it turns out that that I was I was right in the middle of it, uh, and and with all the all of uh, the guys that I'd slid with and against uh, internationally. So it was, yeah. it, was, it was a blessing for sure. You and know? you still get to be a part of that at that time. And then also you get a chance to be, uh, you know, a coach with the women, right? Correct? Yeah. So so that that opportunity opened the door to uh, – I, I got called in 2017 to be part of the, uh, the race leadership for the 2002 – 2007 I got called for the 2010 Olympics in, in Whistler and, and part of that project managing uh, uh, equipment and athletes on the venue on a brand new, brand new venue uh, there in, in Whistler, British Columbia. And, uh, and that kind of led into uh, uh, an opportunity to coach the women's team, 2010, uh, 2011 season, amazing, amazing group of women, uh, uh yeah what well, i'm just i was blessed to have that opportunity now at the time uh kim and i were i was the father of 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 five-year-old triplets <laughs> and so when <clears throat> when you leave the country on in you know the first week of january and you don't get back to the last week of february yeah uh man that is not the kind of dad that i wanted to be uh and uh, I don't know if they missed me or, uh, but, but, uh, but I missed them. Yeah, probably not. Uh, probably not. <laughs> and, it, and it was, it was, uh, it was rough. And so uh, I decided that was something that I, uh, that I enjoyed the, the title and, and, and the travel uh, per se, but missing out on that, on my family was uh, given a higher priority. So. Yeah, and let's let's talk about that real quick. Obviously, you've had you know great experiences on the bobsled and athletics, but talk about uh, you know what does it mean to you to be a great husband and then also a great father? Because obviously, you wound up you know your values were being a good husband and father, and so wanting to spend more time with them. What does that mean to you? Uh, I, I think it means it means uh, being present. Uh, 
one of the one of the things that one of the opportunities that I had while I was bobsledding was being part of a, a group leading into the 2002 Olympics, uh, where they'd take uh, a group of athletes that were projected to do well during the, at the 2002 games from all the winter sports and bring them into, into, uh, up into park city and, and do kind of a workshop with them, separate them into smaller groups and then have group leaders that were uh, Olympic medalists. Well, one of the, uh, one of those years, uh, my small group leader was a, a lady named Bonnie Blair. Uh, Bonnie Blair was, she was a multiple gold medalist at, in, in speed skating. Uh, I'd followed her as a kid uh, and she was our group leader and, and, uh, and she was a mom and uh, she was, uh, and she was really cool. And one of the things that we were talking about that week, <clears throat> one of the focus points was, uh, uh, it's called getting in the zone and, and, and as athletes being able to get in the zone when, and when, when you, it's almost like having blinders on that you can't, you're totally focused on, on what you're doing. And, and I'm, I'm not great at it. I, I know I can recognize times when I've been in the zone. Uh, I don't, you can train yourself to get there uh, at times, but uh, I think part of being a great husband and great dad is recognizing sometimes you get there and you're not even, you're not, you don't recognize that you're there. Uh, and so you, you get so focused on something that uh, all the other pieces, uh, your wife and your kids are on the outside of that. And uh, I think being a great husband and father is, is recognizing that, uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm, no, I'm, uh, I'm not great at it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm a, I am a work in progress, uh, Bailey, without sure. a question, but, uh, I think, uh, being, so being part of somebody's story and not, and, and recognizing that, that, uh, you know, being in the zone has its advantages and it, it, in, and whether you're in work or, or competitions, uh, athletic or otherwise, uh, it definitely has its place, but actually being able to unplug and uh, show value to your kids and your wife, especially uh, sometimes, and I know that I'm super guilty, especially having three children of the same age that are super active in, in athletics and other things. I'm I'm not going to be leading any marriage conferences anytime soon, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not great at it. Uh, uh, but, uh, but I'm recognizing that I think part of, part of, of, of part of excellence is, is recognizing your weak spots. Uh, and, and at least, uh, trying to, trying to move forward through those. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, one on your time here and start winding it down, but you know, that's so, so important is just to be present, you know, wherever you are with your family, with, with your, with your spouse, with your kids. Um, cause ultimately, you know, that's being present in the moment. That's, that's, uh, all we get 
at the time. And so there's no guarantee tomorrow. And so when you're with somebody, try to be present with them, especially your kids and your spouse. Um, no question. Right. So yeah. it's super easy, super easy to, to let the outside, let your job or let these, all these other outside things pull you off of that track. I mean, goodness. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm a work in progress too. I don't want to act like I got it all together because I definitely <laughs> right. don't. So, but yes, yeah, just trying to be aware of that, be conscious of it um, is really important. So you know, as we wind down, we've got the little fire round and you've kind of touched on some stuff. So I'll say it's uh, like a, a word and you can just finish up however you, however you feel, whether it's in one word or a couple, couple sentences. So you can do anything if. Uh, you can do anything if you keep moving forward through the detours. Um, yeah. Don't expect for it to, to uh, whatever plan that you're making, just know in advance that there's going to be some detours and the way that you get to whatever finish point that you had on your plan list. And sometimes it won't even finish there. Uh, but the detours that you take, uh, are going to be, uh, for, for purpose. They're going to have purpose. So mm-hmm. we pay attention. Yeah, a- absolutely. Persistence. Uh, keep working at it. So, so I never, I never coached or played in a game that, that I thought I was going to lose when the ball was kicked off. Not one time. Right. Uh, persistence to me is, is, uh, again, it's, it's moving forward through, through the adversity. Uh, uh, you, you can't stop. And, uh, that being said, I never thought I'd, I'd lose a game. Uh, it happened. So what are you going to, are you going to persevere or where are you, where are you going moving through that? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's no doubt. Favorite vacation spot that you've been to? Uh, I would say our family typically, our family loves the 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 Florida Gulf Coast area, particularly around around Destin, and uh, we've been there a ton, and and we have a blast down there as a family. Okay, so uh, I have some trips to Europe that, uh, that I'll be looking forward to here when, in a few years with Kim and I, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think for, for our family and, uh, we'd definitely be down there, the Destin area, north mm-hmm. or south of there. Awesome. Uh, it all comes down to, I think it all comes down to being part of somebody else's story. When you make a conscious effort to be part of a positive part of someone else's story, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to wish you didn't, I guess you're not, you're not going to have regret. If you're a positive part of someone else's story, you're never going to have regret. Um, and, and, uh, our world now, nowadays is so self-focused and so look at me and, and, um, uh, this kindness and, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, redirected. Uh, I just think that being part of somebody else's story is a, is a huge part and, and, and gives back exponentially. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So favorite, uh, favorite place you've experienced via bobsledding. Uh, 
Well, I've told some of those stories. Uh, St. Moritz, Switzerland, top of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, that's a, the, the track is, is unbelievable because it's, you know, they build it uh, the only natural track in the world now. And uh, uh, the ice is so smooth. I can just remember being in a bobsled in a four man bobsled, Brian Scheimer, five time Olympians driving it. And we are coming through. It's a cold, brisk morning and we're in the training run and it's actually not a training run. It's a race. And, he makes it through horseshoe and we get down to the bottom end of that track and we're going 148 kilometers an hour, which is like 92, 93. And it is like riding, like you can't hear anything. You're really, really yeah. And you're running through the trees and, and it's so smooth and it, it's, it's, it was, it's unbelievable. Yeah. What an experience. That's awesome. Well, thanks for the fire round. You know, you've, you've really touched on these last two questions already, but we'll just go ahead and ask them again. But you know, what's, What's the best piece of, of advice you've ever received? Uh, I, I stick with, uh, and I pass this on from time to time. Uh, my, when I was in high school, my ROTC, it's Captain Mike Lavin. He was a, a Vietnam vet, uh, a Navy vet. And uh, he said, uh, I got twisted up on some type of outside, something outside interference and, and, just I couldn't let it go. And he said, Dave, he said, uh, he said, just remember this. He said, eventually everybody gets what they deserve. Which sounds kind of harsh, but it's basically you reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and that that helped me a lot with uh, not getting twisted up in somebody else's somebody else's uh, uh, mess. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let that part bother me because I have the, I, I mean, you reap what you sow. And if you, if that's what you do, then, then uh, eventually that, that's going to catch up with you. So I, I don't make other people's business, my business. Mm. Uh, just, uh, and that's another thing I think in today's world, we have goodness everybody wants to make other people's business their business it's it's frightening yeah uh, so it's a but, good thing to live up yeah. to for sure and, and remind yourself about yeah right. right uh you touched on this a little bit already but you know this podcast is called building excellence what does building excellence mean to you building excellence uh is i i think if you if you think you're you've you're there you're not uh, that's what I think building excellence is. It's, it's, it's moving forward. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's a moving target. You're always going to be, you're always going to be moving through it. If you can, you, if you can be a part, a positive part of someone else's story and, 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 and while you're working through your businesses or, or your, uh, your family life, and you keep that at the center part, the centerpiece of it, then, then, uh, excellence follows that. Uh, I just can't, I, I just feel like, uh, that's, that's where I've been led. Uh, and as long as I, as long as I keep that piece in place, business wise, family wise, I'm someone else's story. It's the unselfish side of that. Now, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not great at it. Uh, and, and I'm sure, you know, 
there there would be people rolling their eyes oh goodness yeah <laughs> well just know that that's uh that's uh i i think that's important that's what i'm i'm trying to build every every day yeah absolutely and that's that's so great you know uh you know coach owens thanks so much for being on the show because and, and thanks for being the type of person that you are i think you know i can speak just through my experience on behalf of playing you know underneath you for a little bit even though uh I decided to not to play that senior year. So <laughs> don't hold it against me. <laughs> I never did. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you, you're a coach that, you know, when you talk about excellence, it's something that you continually demanded of everyone on the team. Uh, you push people uh, to places that they probably didn't think they could go or and to get better and to be the best that they could be. So obviously <clears throat> you say people roll their eyes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But at the same time, you know, you've had these experiences that have shaped you and, and thanks for sharing some of the things and the lessons that you've learned, you know, battling adversity and persevering through some of those things. And then also just just the, the heart to be a part of someone else's story and to give back and, and to be someone that makes a difference in the lives of, of whoever you encounter. So thanks for thanks for doing that. If someone wanted to reach out or follow you, what's the best way to do that? I have a Facebook account. I do Instagram and Twitter, although my kids are still, it's a work in progress as well, trying to explain <laughs> all that to me. No TikTok uh, yet? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that one, I got one that, that just, yeah, I might be bypassed. Okay. I'm looking yeah. for the next great thing. Yeah. yeah. So there's a social media account. So if you want to follow, well, thanks again so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking some time today. Bailey, ha thanks for having the courage to step out and, and do this. Uh, and, and, and start this uh just just great but I mean, the guests that you've had on have been amazing I, I love watching it thanks thanks so much appreciate it hey everyone it's bailey miles thanks again so much for tuning in we hope you found value in the show and if you enjoyed it we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend subscribing on apple or spotify podcast writing a quick review or leaving a five-star rating when you do that it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.